0: I really do. It's so cute! Thanks! I almost felt guilty when I bought it, but then I was like, I work hard for my money. Yeah, you do. And you know what the Bible says? God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, it does. Mm. Mm-hmm. So today is uh, week three in our series, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And uh, we're tackling some stuff that, that, that sounds Christian, right? It sounds like a Christian statement of some sort and maybe there's an element of truth in it if we, if we twist it enough, but it's really not Christian if we if we think about it. Uh, last, sorry, Week one was Nathan's message about God hates sinners. We found that that wasn't uh, correct. The reverse was actually true. Adam talked last week about everything happens for a reason and we found that while not, not everything can be blamed on God, right? Not everything can be laid at God's feet and says he's responsible for that. But what we, what we found is that God is involved and, um, and works all those things. And today is God helps those who help themselves. By the way, Claire's going to do, God won't give us more than we can handle. So I'm looking forward to Claire um, next week. There's an interesting... Uh, YouTube clip that I found during the week, which is um, what you do if you're a bit s- short-stretched on ideas for starting a sermon. And it's written by a band called the Jasper Street Company. And they actually wrote this song called God Helps Those Who Help Them. So you can go on YouTube this afternoon and, and listen to it if you really need to, right? It's probably a waste of your time. But i won 't try singing it, although I have had an offer from Ellie to pay me three dollars if I, if I did. so just put that out there. I may no, no. Um, Now you, you, you need to, you need to look at these words in a second and imagine them against the backdrop of some very, very bad, deep south um, sister act type sting, singing like the <laughs> that sort of one, right if, You've got, you've, you've, got, you've got to bring that one out, okay? The, with the, the clapping, the incessant repeating of the same word over and over and over again, followed by the odd, Wah! sort of thing, right? Everyone good with that? Yes. Right. We could have, have some fun with this, couldn't we? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Okay, the words say this. I get up every day, work my tired fingers to the bone. So when I say there's no easy way, you've got to make it on your own. I'm like a slave working for the man, trying to do the best I can. So when I tell you it ain't easy, I'm just helping you understand that God helps those who help themselves. Don't Don't you want to help yourself? Don't you want to help yourself? Now, I'm not sure about the world that you live in, but for me... Those those words almost reflect what it is to live in in the 21st century in the Western world. Because I think the person who wrote them essentially is trying to say, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Right? We can't trust God because God's got an agenda. God's got conditions that he always wants us to meet. God's got a timeline that just doesn't make... It just doesn't convenient. It's not convenient to me. Right? I can't trust other people to, to do anything, so it's up to me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Now, it's interesting that this statement has actually been used in history to justify, like, by, by some prominent people, without, without blaming them, by some prominent people in order to justify why they should do something. So Benjamin Franklin, many years ago in the 1800s, said, the government needs more income tax revenue, and God helps those who help themselves, so if you pay us more tax, then we can be more productive for you. We can do more stuff if you would do this. Before he was president, Barack Obama actually said on the on the campaign trail, when he was talking about gun control, God helps those who help themselves, in order to sort of justify maybe We've got to do something about this problem. And maybe there's truth in, in all that. So I'm not having to go at any of them. Some, Sadly, some Christians have this idea that if we just work harder, if we just do more, if we just take steps to do it, everything else, if we just go to church and look good on the surface and do some stuff for God on occasion, that God has an obligation to bless us. God's got an obligation to have our back and, and look after us. And, bluntly, that's rubbish. The, the danger in these statements is usually, it does usually contain an element of truth. If you're a Christian and you are in search for a job, for example, you can sit at home on your video games praying that some multi-billionaire from California calls you and offers you a, good, offers you a job. You can do that, but, and if it's worked for you? Um, I need to talk to you after church, right? <laughs> I'm not a video game person, but that, that hasn't worked for me. No, nothing of that has worked for me. In fact, there are some situations where God would expect us to show some initiative, aren't there? Some, some situations where, where, where maybe in that situation, we start praying to God, open an opportunity, and then we do some research about, job openings we get a cv together we get some references together we find some decent clothes and maybe even some deodorant and we get out and make some visits and see what doors open right so there's nothing wrong with any of that sort of stuff the core problem with this idea that God helps those who help themselves is it distorts some things these are the three I'm going to cover today It distorts our attitude towards other people. It distorts our attitude, our our need for God's grace. And it distorts our our view of ourselves, quite frankly. Our view of ourselves before God. The key problem that this thing presents is one of that selfishness. That that over-emphasized self-reliance. Uh, the first part of our Bible reading today is in Luke 18 from verse 9, and it says this Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't do this. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. First point. God helps those who help themselves distorts our attitude towards the people next to us because now look before we before we gang up on the pharisee because everyone does that right that's what we do jesus has a go at him all the time and we just yeah that pharisee that bad bad pharisee before we do that he's a good guy right he's going above and beyond he, he has he has a requirement to fast i think it's once twice a year he's doing it twice a week He's a Pharisee. He doesn't necessarily have to give anything. He chooses to go above and beyond what he is supposed to do, to to do all this stuff. His problem, in verse 11, is that he is comparing himself to everybody else around him. Okay. The lie of God helps those who help themselves essentially is it leads to a very, very selfish idea of Western Christianity where everything exists to serve me. I don't make this stuff up? It hurts. It <laughs> confronts us. We, we put ourselves on a, on a pedestal. Like we're, we're about here. And we look at other people around us and go, well, they're sort of ahead of me. There's others who are on about my level. But those people who, who I perceive to be below me on some level well, then they're to blame, right? Because if God helps those who help themselves, then they have the power to fix it. They, they have the power to make themselves better. If they just prayed more, if they just did some more stuff, if they just asked for help, if they just took action, if they just did more, then surely God would look after them. The problem with this is if we compare everybody else to ourselves, it's really, really easy to justify how somebody is undeserving of our attention and church. That is not love. That's not what we're called to do. Um, Now, maybe, maybe it's true on some level, if they did do this, right? The reality is that that's not love. And we can't afford to be selfish when we, when we come and we look at everybody else and, and almost compare ourselves to everybody else because it will completely undermine everything this church is trying to do. right? Instead of glorifying God, we start glorifying ourselves. Instead of embracing people, we start blaming them. Instead of planting seeds, We just say there's somebody else's problem. I haven't found one for making disciples yet, so I'll get back to you on that. Instead of, it's it's always somebody else's problem. That's not what God called us to do. And I'm not not talking to anybody, because, you know what, this church is doing a crazy good job with this. But it's always good for us to think about why we do what we do. Tim Keller had this to say. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed... That Jesus had to die for me. But I am so loved and valued that Jesus gladly did just that. Those are some sobering words. (laughs) This leads to a deep humility and confidence at the same time. I am not superior to anybody. I don't think more or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. And maybe I could add in there, I think of God's grace more. The only way a church becomes a place to belong, and it has become that for many of us, is when, we're, when we put ourselves aside and we exist to make a difference. When we exist, when we're united with Christ, empowered by his spirit, and it makes a massive difference. And can I just tell you a story um, I was talking this week to somebody very, very new to the church. They've, they've, they've you know, been, been coming maybe a handful of times, okay? This is their first crack at church for probably 10 years plus, okay? Because there's, you know, there's just been circumstances and, and those seasons happen to people. By the way, I've, I've been praying on Sunday mornings as I was to church. People are out there walking, you know, down getting coffee and newspaper. I pray to God to bring them here. I don't know if you join me with that, but maybe, maybe we should. Um, And I was talking to these people and they said, you know what, each time we come, our kids are welcomed, and I thought it would be awkward, but I actually get cared for. People here look after each other. It's just what we do. It's just what they do. And I couldn't be prouder of my church when I hear that. I've got to tell you that. Um, People go the extra mile because they care. We're building something special here, church. You hear me? We're building something special here. But there's a word of warning attached to all of this stuff. We've got to... It won't work unless we don't go the extra mile. It doesn't work if we don't go the extra mile. Our saviour... Our faith is typified by a God who went the extra mile for us. Amen? Nothing else is expected... Nothing else less than that will do. Can I just encourage you? Um, go the extra mile for people around you. If you, don't, uh, if you. if you sit in the same area every week, that's, that's okay. I'm, I sit in the same chair every, every week too, right? But have a think about who else usually sits with you. And if you haven't seen them for a few weeks, find their number and send them a text. I miss you. How are you going? If, um, if you're sitting in that section and somebody you haven't met before sits there, it's on us to go and find them. You know, Nathan shared the one-cent coin thing a little while ago. Going, the, going after the one makes a lot of sense in our community. It makes even more sense in our churches. Um, that's, that's, that's on all of us. Okay? Nathan will probably have some more to say, say about this uh, another day, maybe, maybe even today. Number two. It distorts our continued need for God's grace. Verse 13. Yep, 13. The tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Listen to Jesus' words. I tell you this. This sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who help exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Back to our Pharisee for a minute. On the surface, he is doing all the right stuff, isn't he? He's going above and beyond. But in his prayer... He uses the word I at least four or five times. You might notice before, he didn't actually ask God for anything because he doesn't need anything from God. Like, he's got it all together. He's... I'm not even sure he's praying. I think he's just talking some words sort of in God's general direction, just hoping maybe that God hears him. And essentially what he's saying is, thank you, God, for making me. I'm doing all the right things here. I... I, I do pretty well compared to everybody else you must be so proud <laughs> and this is the problem I suppose with selfishness we, we get to this idea that we get convinced that ourselves is all that matters and can I just tell you ourself, our, our idea of ourself doesn't help us before God it doesn't help us before God the core problem for this guy is he, 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 he forgets his extraordinary need for God's grace. He, he just Here's the scandalous part of the story. The tax collector. The guy who would be the last person to show up in God's presence. The, the guy who, who works for the oppressive government, who we hate everything about, who just annoys us day in and day out because he's there... He's the one who walks into God's presence and he experiences grace. He experiences forgiveness. He experiences joy in God's presence. He, he sees, oh, there's something wonderful here and he's the one who is made right before God and leaves different. Can I put this back on, back on our level for a bit? It's Sunday, right? It's time for church. Now, Perhaps we can walk into church because we, this is what we do on Sundays, right? We, we, we come together, we, we have a coffee, we talk, we get together. All those things are great. But we can, on some level, feel like we're doing God a favor. We can, on some level, feel like we're, um, we go through the motions, we sing some songs, we, we, we maybe, maybe even say, you know, maybe we even do some stuff. Who knows? But what we miss is our desperate need for God's grace. The most unworthy person with the most tarnished background walks in here to the foot of the cross and finds forgiveness and grace. They find a new life. They find something completely... They find joy and release and freedom in God's presence. And we miss it. And can I be honest with you, church? The truth is, as I, as I wrote this, I'm confronted again by the fact that there's far too much of that Pharisee in me. Far too much. Far, not, a, not enough of that tax collector who just wants to come in and be with God. Um, question. When was the, honestly, honestly, when was the last time Instead of coming in here on that, without without some sort of maybe a noble agenda, that we came in here just because God was here and we recognised our need for Him, because everything else about me, when I'm in His presence, pales into insignificance. Um, that's my challenge. <laughs> that's my challenge to myself. By the way, can I just add a plug for tonight's worship service? How about we come tonight with an attitude of just being between me and him? Number three, it distorts our view of maybe ourselves. Maybe maybe our, our own idea of ourselves towards, towards God. Okay? The problem with God helps those who help themselves is it's around how we understand salvation. It, it, every religion, maybe apart from Christianity that you can think of in, in our world today, essentially has this sort of, uh, the, the same basic premise about how we view God. Our, our life is like a game of snakes and ladders, right? We start at the bottom, at number one. God's up there in the, in the far corner, at number, whatever number that is, and... I love this quote. <laughs> Learn to befriend the snakes. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? We we assume that this in this in this lot in this life, if we if we live well and we go to church and we pray and we do a devotion and we serve sometimes and we look the look out for people around us, then our our obligation is that we must go up on the on the ladder somewhere, when we're right, we we must go up. The pro- the problem with that is if we get, if we hit a a website we shouldn't look at, or we look do something the wrong, you know, we do the wrong thing. We miss church. We we miss the opportunity right in front of us. We beat ourselves up, and we find one of those snakes, and we go sliding down, sliding down the bottom. And so the only way you can fix that when you are at the bottom of a snake is to get off and start and try try harder again, right? Because God helps those who help themselves. That's 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 how you that's how you fix that. You've just got to work harder. And the problem from the problem for this is you don't know where you are. If that's how you live, you don't know while you're actually in the game whether you're at the bottom, just not good enough, and going straight to hell sort of level, or if you're at the top, going I'm I'm pretty close to God, and God must be must God must be I must be all right. And I only say that to, to, give, to, to, to share this with you. Christianity is completely different. Okay, This is the good news about Christmas. This is the good news about what we celebrate at Christmas time because our faith is not a game of snakes and ladders where we have to keep earning our way to God. It's, it's, Christianity is about a God who came down to us. It's a God who came down to our level and I love you, but you don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn it. He goes to the cross to remove your sin, to conquer death, to remove the blockage between us and God. And when you put your faith in Jesus, regardless of how many snakes and ladders you you might encounter, his grace is always enough. Somebody say Amen. That's good news, right? It completely changed. God's grace completely changes your life because instead of giving out of obligation, I give because the God who gave to me can't be outgiven. I serve because God can't be outserved. Okay, I love because God's already gone far beyond anything I could imagine. It completely changes everything about why we go the extra mile for people in our lives because God's already gone the extra mile for us. I think the, the answer about why we live or, or, or how we live in light of God's grace is really found in this passage. And Nathan's already shared this very, very fortunately with, with us for, Nathan's, oh, sorry, for Noah's dedication this morning. It's straight after this passage and it says this. Let's, let's read it again. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There's a... That verse has a lot to say about how we view our kids, particularly in a, in a backdrop of, of our kids aren't valued. That was, the, that was the, very much the, the feeling of the first century. What Jesus is saying here on a much deeper level, though, is if you're trying to enter God's kingdom by, by working hard, if you're trying to earn your way and prove yourself enough by being good enough for God, you may as well give up now, because you ain't going to make it. Okay, but if you live life like that little kid who just runs to Jesus and depends on Him and relies on Him and acknowledging your need before Him, then you'll find the freedom that you're after. That's where you find the freedom. That's where the true God of the Bible is found. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't make up for it. All you can do is accept it. These, these words change, change my life sometimes. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. What that, all that matters is what he's done. For my um, my first Father's Day, Amanda gave me this this folder with some little sort of plastic sleeve things in, and I forgot my car keys this morning, so I forgot everything else. Right, so I didn't, I couldn't bring it with me. Um, my apologies. So I've I've failed on that level. The, the the, but the first one is basically about 13 years ago. It's Kiana's a baby and and me. And every year on Father's Day, I get another page in the another page for the book and what you can see as is as I as I as as the kids grow you can see me age <laughs> right? you can just see see that happen but <clears throat> that's that's okay by the way it's, it's it's all right my my favorite picture one, one of my favorites there's, there's plenty of favorites there is a photo taken down of Kiana and I down on the Great Ocean Road it's probably about probably about probably about 11 years ago maybe maybe even 12 years ago now and What I see from this picture and what I see from this passage is Jesus saying, if you want to understand how life as a Christian is meant to work, it's not in a God who helps those who help themselves. It's in, if you want to be part of my kingdom, just be that little kid who hangs on their parents' every word. Just be the little kid who looks up at their dad in wonder and amazement about who he is. Don't, don't run off. Don't get busy. Don't try harder because that's when you get lost. You see the wave and you're like, cool, I can take this on myself. You let go of the hand and you run for it. That's when you get lost. That's when you get lost. Jesus is just simply saying, just be content To walk with me. Just be content to be ready and willing to live in my presence and in reliance on him and in rhythm with him. That's what he's talking about. I know there's some people who like me need to hear this message this morning. Maybe where maybe some of us have gone to that position where we've forgotten what life with Jesus is sort of like. We've run off to that, to that wave and we've done the whole, we, we can do this ourselves. We're too busy for God in our life. Maybe, that, maybe that's true. And we let go of his hand. We think we've got it covered. And the problem is that when you get caught by that first wave, the only way to fix it is to work hard because God helps those who help themselves. And that's not how it works. It's a matter of reaching out and taking his hand again. That's all it is. Maybe there's some of us like me who see that too much of that Pharisee in me. Okay, maybe it's that, it's that on the surface everything looks good, but maybe sometimes I'm just too self-absorbed. Maybe it's, it's it's the world exists to to do whatever, but it's all about my satisfaction. And I think I think life needs to be about letting go of control, letting go of influence, letting go of power. If you have those things, you can use them well, but you've got to do it in a way where you're responding to God's grace because of God's grace. And if your life is about all those things, I think God would ask you to change that this morning. Maybe there's some of us who even spend our life running from God, running away as far as we can and... Believing that we're better than everybody else. Believing that God owes me something. God owes me prosperity because I'm good enough. And they've never actually admitted their deep heart need for his grace. Um, I just want to tell tell you this morning that Jesus is holding out that hand again. He's holding out that hand again and all he asks you to do is take it. Because when you take it, life is different. Does God help those who help themselves? Well, maybe, yeah, he does. Maybe on some level, God would expect us to show some initiative if there's a need in front of us, if there's people in front of us to love, if there's things in our life that needs to, needs to happen. There's nothing wrong with that. To, to ignore pe- people, to, 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 to be his hands and feet, I think Jesus would expect us to do that sort of stuff. The truth of our passage this morning is that God helps those who admit that they need him. God helps those who admit they can't save themselves and they just run to him and that's good enough. Those who acknowledge that his grace and his forgiveness is all they need. Would you pray with me, church? God, I... um, I know I don't speak for just myself when I say that we see some of ourselves in this story. We see some of, our, some of, some of, some of that sense that maybe sometimes we've, we've come to you with the wrong motives. Maybe sometimes we've come to you out of obligation or, or just trying to make ourselves feel better. And God, you want to bring us back to that place of reliance, that place of healthy... Um, lack of self and trust in you. God, I pray for those people this morning who are who maybe are, are busy and and just have, have left go of your hand a long time ago. And God, I know that you in this moment are are reaching out to them with that with that hand again. Just saying, take my hand. God, I, I know there's people here this morning who who maybe have never come to that place of that deep need for for you maybe they just they've they've pushed on and hoped that one day would all click together but there's redemption and there's forgiveness and there's new life found at the cross of our saviour God we thank you for the fact that you're a God whose mercies are new every day great is your faithfulness to us God, we don't, we don't deserve your grace, but we're amazed by it. We're absolutely amazed by it.